Prepare our hearts, O God, to accept your word. Silence in us any voices but your own, so that we may hear your word and also do it. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Today, our scripture lesson from the Old Testament is Nehemiah 5, 1 through 13. You may find it on page 427 of your pure Bibles. Nehemiah 5.13. Now there was a great outcry of the people and of their wives against their Jewish kin. For there were those who said, with our sons and our daughters, we are many. We must get grain so that we may eat and stay alive. There were also those who said, we are having to pledge our fields, our vineyards, and our houses in order to get grain during the famine. And there were those who said, we are having to borrow money on our fields and vineyards to pay the king's tax. Now our flesh is the same as that of our kindred. Our children are the same as their children, and yet we are forcing our sons and daughters to be slaves and some of our daughters have been ravished. We are powerless, and our fields and vineyards now belong to others. I was very angry when I heard their outcry and these complaints. After thinking it over, I brought charges against the nobles and the officials. I said to them, you are all taking interest from your own people and I called a great assembly to deal with them and said to them, as far as we were able, we have bought back our Jewish kindred who had been sold to other nations. But now you are selling your own kin. Who must then be bought back by us? They were silent and could not find a word to say. So I said, the things that you were doing is not good. Should you not walk in the fear of our God to prevent the taunts of the nations, our enemies? Moreover, I and my brothers and my servants are lending them money and grain. Let us stop this taking of interest. Restore to them this very day their fields, their vineyards, their olive orchards, and their houses, and the interest on money, grain, wine, and oil that you have been exacting from them. Then they said, we will restore everything and demand nothing more from them. We will do as you say. And I called the priest and made them take an oath to do as they had promised. I also shook out the folds of my garment and said, so may God shake out everyone from house and from property who does not perform this promise. Thus they be shaken out and emptied. And all the assembly said, amen, and praise the Lord. And the people did as they had promised. 
the word of the Lord. Our next lesson is from Matthew, reading from the sixth chapter. Begin at verse 25 and read through the end of the chapter, through verse 34. This is a portion of the Sermon on the Mount that is found in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Let us continue to listen for the word of God. Jesus is speaking and he says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your span of life? And why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not clothed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, What will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear? For it is the Gentiles who strive for all of these things, and indeed your heavenly Father knows that you need all of these things. But strive first for the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring worries of its own. Today's trouble is enough for today. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. As I was preparing this week's sermon, I received the current issue of a magazine I subscribe to called Christian Century, and it contained an article by Sam Wells, who is the vicar of St. Martin in the Fields in London, And he's talking in that article about something that we all need to hear, clergy especially from time to time, and parishioners as well. And he approaches the subject by telling about a mistake he made in a pastoral counseling situation when he glossed over an issue that was quite seriously, quite serious. And instead of speaking the truth to the person who was troubled, He tried to ignore the seriousness and the reality of the situation just kind of to to make peace or to give false hope. Well, that was an encouragement to me because uh, frequently a, a minister has to bring a message that that person thinks is from God but would rather not say uh, because it's uncomfortable. It may not be well received by the people. And yet the charge of the minister is to proclaim what he or she believes to be the word of God as it applies to the life of his or her people. Now that's not a new idea that comes from Sam Wells. The Apostle Paul charges the Corinthians to speak the truth in love and you will grow up in every way into Christ Jesus. And a cherished political principle in America has been the the phrase speaking the truth to power. You speak the truth of God to people in positions of power to do something about it. Now that comes at least from the 1800s. I think it originated with the Quakers, but you hear it frequently in political debate, speaking the truth to power. It's not an easy thing to do, not a popular thing to do, but any minister worth his or her salt will do that as opposed to trying to preach what 
you would like to say or trying to preach what you think the people would like to hear. That's always tempting. About a month ago, maybe a little longer ago than that, I wrote a letter to the congregation and spoke about the subject of our giving in this congregation and what, require, what the Bible says God requires of us as people of faith in terms of how we use the resources that God has entrusted to us. Now, that wasn't popular in all quarters. Why did I do that? Not because I wanted to say it, not because I thought you wanted to hear it, but because I thought that was what God would say to the people. And if you have a minister behind this pulpit, and that's what you want your minister to do, you will at least hear the minister out whether you agree with them or not. Um, but at any rate, the minister who doesn't talk about money or giving is guilty of putting his or her own priorities ahead of God's priorities. And it's tempting to do. Because we all want to please the parishioners, don't we? As clergy, it's tempting just to say what you think they would like to hear. Now, I raise that because I'm approaching another topic that maybe is not so popular among some of us, maybe all of us, I don't know. The question is the church and social justice. That's a controversial subject. I wonder what your opinion is about churches and their members engaging in projects seeking justice within the community. Is it a good thing? Is it a God thing? There is a popular conservative radio commentator whose name will not be mentioned who said several years ago that if your church ever uses the two words social justice together, you need to turn and run because that's not a true church. Really? Let's see what the scriptures say. If that is our authority and our guide in matters of faith and practice. If you read the scriptures, you cannot ignore the fact that the quest and the demand and the requirement for justice within the whole community is God's requirement of his people. Without question, this is a major theme of scripture, especially so in the Old Testament. You see it time and time again, particularly in the prophets who are calling for justice in the community, not simply for a right relationship with God, but a right relationship with your neighbor. It is required. And so the Old Testaments not only mention justice, not only commend justice, but the God who speaks through the Old Testament commands justice for his people. If you don't agree with that, go home this afternoon if you have a concordance in your Bible and look up the word justice and see how many times the Old Testament in particular talks about God's people seeking justice. And then you turn to the New Testament. Now what you might notice there, if you look it up in your concordance, that you find the word justice more infrequently used in the New Testament. And one might well assume, well, that must mean that Jesus or the early church were not as interested in justice in the community as were the Hebrews and their faith. Nothing could be farther from the truth. But let me tell you why the confusion is there and why you might want to draw this conclusion. It goes back to the beloved King James Version of the Bible. You see, the word for justice in the Hebrew is tzedek. And it's used constantly. But the New Testament is written in Greek. The Septuagint is the Greek Old Testament. And whenever the word Sedek is translated into the Greek, it uses a Greek word, diakosune. But diakosune can mean two things. 
It can mean righteousness, and it can mean justice. Ninety percent of the time, the King James translators of the Scripture chose to use the word righteousness, which in a sense means something similar to justice, very similar, but it has a different feel. When we use the word righteousness, we think of a virtue, a holiness of some sort. But justice has to do with the law of God and whether or not God's people are willing to obey that law. So read the, the Gospels and the New Testament when you get home. And every time you come across the word righteousness, put the word justice there. And maybe it will give you further insight into this issue. This morning our New Testament lesson was a portion of the Sermon on the Mount. Seven times in just the first two chapters of the Sermon on the Mount. The noun or the verb form for diakosune is used talking about justice. This passage that we all know so well, when Jesus is telling his people not to be so consumed about how they look or what they're going to eat, what they're going to do, but strive first for the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Perhaps a better translation, certainly an equal translation, is strive first for the kingdom of God and its justice. And these things will be given to you. As well. So, the New Testament follows suit with the Old Testament, and justice is a requirement for the people of God. It is something commended and commanded by the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, in the ancient world and in biblical days, justice was determined by whoever happened to be the king on the throne. The king established the law and enforced the law. And decided the parameters of the law. But then you get to the Gospels and you have a radically different kind of king. And a radically different kind of kingdom. With a new understanding of what justice is all about. Because justice from God's perspective is not just about having equal weights for balance and weighing out grain. Justice from God's perspective is shalom. It is peace. It is well-being. It is the health of the whole community. Not just of individuals, not simply of those who happen to be in God's favor or participants in the temple. But all people, even the stranger within your gates, even the foreigner who lives around you. The poor and the disenfranchised have rights and the opportunity or should have the opportunity to participate in the shalom which God desires for all of his people. But when you start talking about justice, people get uneasy. It can so easily become political and personal. Cannot anything that we're passionate about become political and personal? Whether you're talking about the environment, taxation, immigration, you name the issue that's in the papers. People are passionate about it one way or the other, and it gets political, it gets personal. That's just what happens when people live together in a relationship. I heard a Lutheran pastor one time, tell a parable about the difference between mercy ministries and justice ministries. See, a lot of churches don't want to deal in justice ministries because it can be so controversial and divisive. But what the parable the pastor said in a meeting one day was there was a village along a great river on the, a, a, a continent, another continent, and this little village noticed one day that there was a man floating down the river who was struggling to stay afloat. He was about to drown. 
they sent a canoe out to rescue him and bring him ashore, and they found that he had been, been bloodied and beaten and bruised, so they tended to his wounds. The next day, two more people come floating down the river. Again, they dispatch canoes to go and get the people and bring them ashore, and they start taking care of them. Well, this continued time and time again. More and more people came down the, the river. And so the village responded by training rescue squads to go out and get the people and bring them ashore. They built clinics to care for these people. They built a medical school to train physicians to tend the wounded. And this went on for a long time until a wise man in the village said, well, why don't we go up river and see what's happening up there that all these people are floating down the river? So they dispatched a group to go and investigate and found out, sure enough, there was a tyrant who was the ruler of a village farther upstream. And anytime someone took exception to his law or how he enforced it, he would have him beaten up and thrown into the river. So the lower village went and assisted some of the people in the upper village to rid, rid themselves of the tyrant. And they returned to practices such as tending their flocks and raising crops and pursuing other civic goods. So the rescuing of the people was an act of mercy. It was a mercy ministry. It's a good thing to do. But sometimes we need to look at the causes of some of these maladies around us or within us. Churches engage in many mercy ministries, and they should. We feed the hungry. We clothe the naked. We teach the ignorant. We send out mission teams. We evangelize. We do a lot of things in the name of Jesus Christ. But one of the things we're called to do as a people of faith and as individuals, is to do justice, to look at the larger community and ask how can our impact help shape this community and this world for Jesus Christ. Of course, a problem with doing justice in the church is that we don't always agree on what constitutes that justice or what the proper solution to the injustice is. But again, we have to maintain God's perspective on what is required for his people. The kind of shalom that, all, that is available, should be available to all people in spite of their circumstances, their races, their gender, whatever. What does God call us to be as a community, in community with one another? Now, I grant you, we're not all called to do the same thing in the life of the church. Some of you may have a passion for social justice ministry. And want to be engaged in that. Some of you may have a passion for children's ministry. For education. You want to be a part of that. Some of you may be concerned with the homeless. And so you want to work with Habitat. Or one of the other uh, ministries like 180 Place. Or something like that. But while we, none of us can do everything the church offers to the community and the world. Each of us can do something. And one of the goals of this congregation is every member in ministry. Every member doing something to make a difference. And one of the things we need to be doing, either as individuals or as a community, is getting educated about and involved with the cause of social justice. If we follow the teachings of Scripture and the example of the Lord Jesus Christ, I think a vital and healthy church will commit itself to all of these things. And we will support what others may be doing in the name of Christ that we may not be called personally to do. Rare is the church that does all of these things well. Some churches excel at worship. Some churches excel at educational ministry. Some churches excel at missions and mission trips. Some churches excel at evangelism and prayer. 
And I guess there are a few churches that excel in social justice work, but there are not many of them because it is so controversial that we tend to avoid it or to evade it altogether. A small group of members of this uh, church participate in a ministry called Charleston Area Justice Ministry. Maybe you've heard about it, maybe you haven't. But it's a group of nearly 30 congregations, almost equally divided between black and white churches, every denomination you can imagine, Baptist, Methodist, Episcopal, Presbyterian, uh, there's a Jewish synagogue that's involved, and as of a couple of years ago, there's a, the central mosque downtown even participates. But the way the justice ministry works is all of the, these congregations have house meetings with people, and they ask them, what keeps you awake at night? What makes you angry? Uh, what is some injustice within this community that needs to be addressed? That's what was going on in Nehemiah's day. Nehemiah was the building contractor when they were rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. The people had returned from Babylonian captivity and they were working diligently to get the walls of the city constructed. Poor and rich alike, there were not many rich, but there were some in the crowd. But what was happening that was that the poor people couldn't even afford to feed their families. So they were having to hawk their ancestral lands and vineyards just to get enough grain to feed their children. They were even selling their own children into slavery so that they could feed others. And the cries of the people reached the ears of uh, Nehemiah. And he said, this is not right. This is not what God wants for his people. So he called an assembly of the people. And they addressed the nobles and the officials and the priests and said, this will not continue. We will take better care of our people than this. And the officials agreed to change their policies and their practices. And so the people were saved at that time. The Charles Area Justice Ministry uses that Nehemiah prototype, if you will, or rubric under which they function. What are the issues that need to be addressed? And so after deciding what issues they want to address, they will have a vote among all these congregations. They will choose an issue. They will have members of those congregations study the best practices nationwide for dealing with these concerns. The issue identified this year is... Uh, the lack of affordable housing for the poor. It's interesting that in the pre-W uh, President Women's Offering, uh, one of these projects will be to support a new enterprise out in Oregon to help uh, people have a home, small homes, but safe homes in which they can live despite their lack of wealth. At any rate, that's the issue chosen this week. Tomorrow evening at Mount Moriah Baptist Church on Rivers Avenue in North Charleston, there will be a Nehemiah Assembly is what it's called. And so there will probably be 1,500 or so folks there from all of these different congregations making a, rep, uh, a, a proposal to elected officials who are in a position to address these concerns about affordable housing in the community. Now here again, that may not be your passion or interest, but there are some in this church that are interested in doing it. And I think we should support and encourage and pray for them as they go about this important task. It's one of the many things we're called to do as members of the Church of Jesus Christ. You may say, well, I'm not sure I agree with everything the Charleston Area Justice Ministry wants to do. And you may not. That's your right. They've had some success in dealing with education and dealing with uh, equal treatment by, uh, for juveniles for uh, black and white juveniles who are arrested and how they're treated, uh, getting more spots for preschoolers in the public school system, 
So they've had some success in making some changes. We'll see whether they have any success tomorrow. They may or may not. But just the process of getting together and talking and working opens a lot of eyes. And you get acquainted with issues that are up for grabs in the community. I remember in the church I served in Norfolk, Virginia, Billy Graham came to town with an evangelism crusade. And so the Billy Graham organization had asked the various churches to be a part of that effort, to have some of their members come and counsel and talk with people after they'd made a profession of faith. And the session was trying to decide whether or not we would participate in the Billy Graham crusade. One of the elders said, well, I don't agree with the way Billy Graham goes about it. I think it's too much pressure on people to make a decision. So I don't like the way they do evangelism. What do the rest of you think? Another elder spoke up and he said, well, I may not like the way Billy Graham does evangelism, but I like the way he does it poorly better than the way we don't do it at all. <laughs> so you may not like how the Charleston Area Justice Ministry goes about seeking social justice, but it may be better than what we, any of us are doing otherwise. So I charge you going forward, just remember the charge of Micah. We are to do justice. That's a requirement of the law, Lord. We are to love kindness and we're to walk in humility. But notice Micah doesn't say we're to talk justice or preach justice or praise justice. We're to do justice. So in our own way as individuals or in any way we can as a community faith, let us work together on making the whole community what God desires for his people. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.